0: Welcome to CTRM Radio, home of the official podcast of Commodity Technology Advisory and your source for information on all matters related to CTRM. Hello. Everyone knows that we are in an energy transition, but as this transition occurs, what new demands might be placed on the traditional ETRM software solution? What new requirements may emerge that are unmet by such solutions? Well, we talked to four software providers in this episode of CTRM Radio to get an idea. CTRM Radio is an ad hoc podcast series by the leading analyst in the space Commodity Technology Advisory, LLC. It is hosted by CTRMcenter.com and kindly sponsored by Enuit, an award-winning provider of CTRM and commodity management solutions worldwide. To get started with this episode, I spoke to Sean Ankers, CEO of Energy One, and I asked him what his views were on how the energy transition may reshape ETRM and related
1: software. Our view is that the market's becoming more physical. Right? It's, traditionally, ETRM was about contracts, about uh, risk valuations, settlements, derivatives, and so on and so forth. Obviously, with the new with the new renewable energy push, We've got more quick-start assets in the marketplace, distributed energy resources. Certainly the demand side is, is very short-term as well. So the market's are much more, becoming more physical in nature for its trading. Uh, participants sort of residing in the area of the spot and the pool market, whereas uh, previously perhaps they were taking longer-term views. So uh, our view is that the, the physical side of the market is, is gaining in importance uh alongside the existing challenges related to contracts trading and the like and and so it's really important to be able to address those those requirements Uh, you might be calling it logistics of course uh scheduling nominations in the short-term intraday intraday markets and delivery services markets and the like
0: why do you see this developing to some extent as a services market
1: then Well, of course, 24-7 is the nature of the physical side of the market. It's on the go the whole time. 24-7 is a challenge. Night shift is a challenge. And traditional larger utilities and larger players would have had the resources to to staff desks on a 24-7 basis. Whereas the newer entrants, you know, in the DER space, the renewables, often pure play, uh, pure play participants and the like, who may not have that kind of level of resource, so they might simply operating as a generator rather than as a utility, yep. or even on a demand demand side. So the the notion that you've got to operate 24/7 is a challenge. Um, and so what's what we've observed is that services are coming becoming more important. It's not just about the software now for either scheduling and nomination, or indeed you know doing your trading. It's also about actually doing it and bureau services or outsourcing uh, on behalf of of these participants is something that we've seen growth in and certainly our our european um, companies easy and exit are are specialized in that exact area so it's not just about the software it's about the services that go with it to enable these uh, these companies to operate in the 24 7 market
0: like us you're seeing a lot more smaller entities in the marketplace and expect that to continue and they don't have the necessarily the resources to do all of this stuff. So if there's someone that can do it for them at a reasonable cost and reliability, then that's an attractive proposition.
1: Well, I think the fragmentation is real. Uh, you know, there are fewer and fewer major utilities in the future and there'll be more and more, more and more small and medium sized players. And of course, even on the demand side, you know, they're, they're, by definition often small and medium sized you know, with the EU, Running at a clip of about 40 gigawatts a year of renewable generation entering the market, I think uh, you know that's a lot. Of that's going to be pure play, medium and small size players. So, again, if they've got the resources to use an enterprise grade product, then that's, that's great. But uh, if they haven't, then they might need someone to help them operate it.
0: If we look at the platforms by their historical names, you've got uh, Easy Energy, Exis, and Contigo within a European context. So in a sense, you have a classical ETRM solution alongside some very modern, uh, shall we say, logistics, scheduling, nomination type pieces of software. How does that mix come together in your mind going forward?
1: Well, yes, of course. So those three companies um, have been traditionally been independent. Of course, they're under the Energy One umbrella now. Uh, we'll be also rebranding all of them to be energy One. energy One as a company, uh, the product names will remain, but they'll all be operating as a wholesale um, suite of services and solutions for customers. So uh, you know, the good thing about that has always been that you were able to offer both sides of the equation. So the contracts trading and settlements type of piece, and also the physical, physical logistics nominations, intraday trading, algo trading, and also the services to, to back that up for, as I said before, as part of the solution. So we, we like to think we've got a, a solution mix there, we useful used to, to companies in the in the new economy.
0: Yeah, and it's the Easy Energy uh, entity that has the alga trading and, and that sort of stuff, right? That's correct, yes. If you think about the, the sort of idea of renewables impacting ETRM functionality, does that not Put you are you not squarely in that particular scenario with Contigo, and where do you see the Contigo platform going as a result of the renewable stuff and the the, the emphasis that you've placed now on on the the services side of the logistics piece?
1: Uh, good question, Gary. I, I think obviously contracts trading is contracts trading, and it always has been. It's obviously got a different flavour to it with a new with a new uh, economy and distributed generation and so on. And of course, Quantigo's uh, product range continues to evolve. is constantly evolving for that and, it, and addressing those markets as well. But also we have a, a product suite called Enflow, which is about automation and bespoke changes as well, which wraps around those kinds of products to bring us, to bring us able to process smaller and more exotic type of uh, rules-based, business rules-based contracts particularly things like PPAs, which of course, are every PPA is more or less unique. And of course, being able to manage those PPAs is a key element of an ETRM. Uh, and you have to be able to translate that into uh, into a format that the, the customer can use and also the software can process. So our suite of solutions is designed to be able to deal with all sorts of unusual and new and evolving contracts as well as, well as having a, a general a product roadmap for the product itself as the market evolves certainly in australia for example i'll give you a slightly different example uh, the, the market went from half hourly settlement to five minute settlements which is a major major change yep. and of course it's, in, it's beholden upon the the software vendors to keep up with those changes in the market anyway without having some special solution
0: where do you energy one see yourselves going next without giving the game away are you going to spend some time and consolidate and build this sort of global services operation because I know you've made an acquisition in Australia as well to, to, to serve the same sort of purpose or are, is it still all systems go looking for other acquisitions potentially along along the road
1: yeah thank you Gary as I mentioned um, we think the 24/7 services plus software or software with a service as we've coined it is the future for DER and renewable generation in general, but also the market, uh, market as well, this is as an evolutionary point. Uh, as, as you mentioned, we have uh, a merger forming with our company in Adelaide, Australia, who does exactly that. The service is 24-7 for the power and gas market. We, our intention is to have a global operation, um, a desk in Europe and a desk in Australia, being able to offer Follow the Sun, uh, getting away from uh, the night shift problem that everyone experiences, we're able to offer that, we're able to cover the night shift for European European energy companies uh, and build out a global platform for, for all of that activity, both uh, in this part of the world and also in Europe, so that when a customer rings up, they're able to speak to someone who understands the portfolio during the night and can trade that for them or balance it or whatever it is we're doing. It's the sort of thing that... Um, we think is, is appropriate going forward because uh, you know finding the operators for night shifts and so on is challenging. So our our, our strategy is to offer software with a service on a global basis to enable the customers to facilitate their portfolios no matter where they are.
0: Next, I spoke with Chris Regan, who is business lead,
2: Energy STP at Brady. So for me, when I think about the impact on the ETRM of decarbonisation, I like to think about it um, from the four scenarios presented by national grid in their future energy scenarios. Um, they've got the lower pace of decarbonization modeled in steady progression as a scenario. We see intermittent um, progression in what's basically called the intermittent change, the system transformation or the consumer transformation scenarios. And they also have a scenario which really shows some modeling of decarbonization, which is called leading the way. And, and the key difference in these is, um, as we move up the decarbonisation, we see far greater prosumers and consumer transformation yep. to get more decentralisation and to get more reactive customers, especially in leading the way. So so for me, I think about that in the context of, of ETRM and uh, a little brief lesson in history for myself. When I started trading out of ETRMs in the GB market, um, when it changed to NETA in 2001, um, I reckon there was about 90 sites that were being rebalanced, um, like power stations, nuclear, et cetera. And I reckon that was probably done across about um, 10 trading desks. So so the way I saw it, that um, you only really, when you you looked across those 90 sites and the 10 trading desks, not all of them would move around, but you probably only got four things to think about. You know, your four power stations, you might have four passive ones, four active ones or something like that, it wasn't a hell of a lot of data going through the ETRM in 2001. And I I looked at some of that data on the Duke's data, which is is part of the kind of national statistics. But if I went to today, um, we've got 608 solar, 416 onshore wind, 126 um, hydro and 44 kind of, um, sorry, not onshore, um, solar um, arrays, not including just the small rooftops. So if I add all of them up and then I think about 48 periods for the day and they're all very active i'm suddenly seeing desks needing 10,000 balancing requirements rather than tens and that's that's even before i start thinking about like lots of customers being added up into vpps so in in an etrm like in 2001 i had a book for a couple of assets and i traded and i put odd trades into books it was all relatively manual but i think in in the future etrm you're not going to be able to have a book or a strategy for each asset. You're going to have to have some kind of aggregation, but also you're going to have to be thinking about forecasts of consumption or generation in completely different ways because every portfolio sitting there is going to have a significant amount of variance on the generation side from from solar or wind um, or from the customer side in terms of prosumers or people with kind of rooftop solar as a domestic. And I also think that those circa 10 trading desks that we had back then are going to become at least 100 trading desks. And if we think about kind of leading the way scenario, that could be 500 trading desks. And those extra 490 trading desks from what we saw in 2001, I think they're going to have quite different needs from the big 10 trading desks that we've had before. And I really don't think we're going to end up with 500 on-site installs or in major data centres. I think the majority of people are going to be spinning up light kind of uh, lightweight cloud SaaS offerings for that ETRM. I think that if I went back in 2001, you'd have 90 assets that you would sell forward three years and do very little for retrading in the prompt. But I think if you've got wind and you've got solar and you've got prosumers, then everything's going to have to be retraded all the way up to the minute of delivery. And I think about the difference between when these ETRMs, a lot of them were built and now, I think actually, well, there's so much switching goes on. The amount of customers that move around completely changing your demand forecast is, is, is there. We've got kind of like intra-month switching, even intra-week switching of customers. And then when you think about um, the recent spate of small suppliers going under in the GB, the changes to forecast to understand where your customers are sitting was really almost moving to real time. Yeah. And finally, when I think about the challenge on the ETRM, and I, t- I take myself back to 2001, um, there were there were various different non-energy costs. Non-energy costs is a is a kind of um, a very uh, bland part. Some people consider of the the energy mix. The non-energy costs are charges that people like grid and the um, distribution system owners they they give you they give you these charges to cover their costs. And one of them that's most interesting is um, balancing services use of system SUOS charge. And when I was when I was trading back in two thousand one, Gary. Basilos was almost a constant £1.95. And what that meant was if I was generating with a coal unit and I knew that my cost of generation was 40 pounds a megawatt hour, then I knew that I had to add £1.95 to that because I'd be charged by to, to get my power to the customer. And yeah. so I would I would I would sell power above £41.95. And it was almost constant. But nowadays, us can be more than the energy cost at times. If we look to those days last year, those balancing days in September, we, it cost the grid £60 million to balance just in a day. And so that gets, that gets split up into basuos, and you get tens of pounds of basuos, And suddenly the difference between a profitable trade and an unprofitable trade can be on basuos instead of just the energy cost, which, which is a huge different way of thinking about it right. when you model the cost of delivery in your ETRM. So when, when I start thinking about the modern ETRM, you know I think about uh, Brady's investment in Igloo, which I think is you know, the perfect complement for our leading heritage ETRM that we have for, with a number of customers. We've got all of that functional expertise from our, our current ETRM, but we've also got this agile, lightweight SaaS approach from Igloo. Our customers are starting to ask for fast installs. They're asking for instantaneous position reporting. They're asking for trading directly from their ETRM to balance their positions. They're wanting to understand the impacts in the shorter term of non-energy costs, and they want to be able to link in algorithmic trading. And I think if you, if you complement Igloo as a Brady purchase with all of those things that we've got from Brady Heritage ETRM, the understanding of VAR and those longer-term ETRM aspects, we're in a really, really strong position to, to win in that space.
0: Yeah, that's quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of
2: changes. And um, I I can't
0: agree more. How much do you see things moving to event driven calculation as opposed to necessarily real time? Or do you think real time is required?
2: I can see I can see it being event driven on the the generation side. Yeah. So, you know, you receive a reforecast, be it from a from an asset that's manually operated or one that's got some forecasting with a kind of set um, frequency of forecasting. So, you know, if you had a, you had a gas engine, if that breaks, it will tell you it's broken event forecasting. You make sure you buy back the power. I don't think you'll have real, you'll need real time renewables forecasting. It will be, you know, every half hour, every quarter of an hour, you'll get an update and that could be more of a kind of um, regular refresh than a pseudo real time. And my view is when you, when you make everything faster and faster, the cost goes up, especially if you're, you're kind of a cloud-based calculation and you're refreshing continuously, you're going to end up with um, quite high high Azure costs. So you have to make it appropriate to the granularity of the data. If it's a gas engine, you do it event-driven. If it's a wind and solar forecast, you do it kind of um, half-hourly refreshes. And if it's a customer Reforecast with the with the kind of the real time um, smart meter data coming in. I could see that going kind of to five minute forecasting, simply because once you move to half hourly settlement being the norm and your customer business costing you imbalance, things like adverts, real time sporting events, they will operate on quite short timescales of swinging the grid demand and hence your customer demand i want to ask also in in C- in the world of ctrm with some commodities we
0: obviously see a lot of emphasis on traceability i'm not necessarily sure that's been a big deal in etrm but isn't traceability potentially also set to become something of greater importance when it comes to power and other forms of energy trading knowing where it came from and being able to track it even if it's a virtual packet of, of information that you're tracking, but being able to prove where it came from. Is that going to
2: get more important as well? There's been, there's been an attempt at traceability over the last 20 years in the form of certificates. Yeah. But I think that everyone's heard the term greenwashing enough to know that the separation of the certificate from the megawatt is something that means that people can claim that all of their energy is green. But there'll be, you know, you're able to get more than one certificate or more than one scheme. And so it isn't a direct direct kind of like for like. So the way way I think about traceability is, A, there's a national grid. All of your energy gets poured into the national grid and everyone takes out their energy. So there's not a traceability of my electron came from that wind farm. So instead, you need to think of ways of tracing that someone who's green can't double sell. Now, attempts have been made. You've got rocks, lex, goos, Rigos, all of these things that have been stacked before. Yeah. I don't think that works amazing and that leads to greenwashing. Now, the next thing you have available to you is you go for a PPA directly with the renewable. So if you were like a Google or an Amazon and you had this um, huge wish to demonstrate that you're, you're buying green power, yeah, what you would do is you go direct to the wind farm or the solar site and you'd say, I want your power into my account. And then you would go to an intermediary, like an EDF or a, an SSE or a Scottish Power, and you'd say, can you handle the differences? Because, of course, you might buy all of the output from a wind farm into, say, your data centre. But if you've got a difference half hourly between the two, then you ask someone like EDF to balance the difference. And they generally then balance the difference between how much is produced and how much you use on an annual basis. So that, that starts putting traceability, because if you do the corporate PPA, the wind farm might get built. So you're reducing the overall carbon footprint. But then if you want it to be even greener, you could say, well, I actually want to balance green all the way down to the settlement period, which is in the GB. It's a half hour. And to do that, you would start needing to basically have a number of wind farms where you could oversupply yourself. And then you could sell the excess. Then you might want to create on-site batteries so that you could load shift so you can meet it. But one of the reports I've read about Google where they were thinking about themselves on a worldwide scale balancing so rather than just one market trying to get it right the more markets you add in then you end up with an easier system to balance because if you if you kind of add up like hundreds of random numbers between one and ten you have you add up with something where the average is five if you try doing it on one country then the variance is huge so right. if you kind of you do it on a worldwide scale it brings it down and i think yeah. i think that's a, another really good way forward um if you wanted to do that green the other thing that i've looked at jerry is um the fact that the megawatt as traded and registered in elexon is a completely fungible asset okay now it's because the elexon database is a very standard database but i've also looked at uh, reports and actually wrote a paper on the tokenization of energy which is where you think about distributed ledgers and that distributed ledgers does not mean bitcoin It means a way in a database where each megawatt could be tokenized. So it looks like a token. Um, So you imagine the meter on a wind farm, that could be like a generator of tokens rather than generator of megawatt hours. Those tokens could then be traded between people. They can't be reproduced. That's the whole point of the distributed ledger. And then you would have something where the megawatt hour, that, that unit of energy goes from being fungible at the moment, fungible meaning that you can't tell the difference between any of them, to non-fungible because you could start giving yeah. extra characteristics to the token given to the megawatt hour. And you could have things there's a there's a term in, in distributed ledgers like colored coins. So yeah. you could create a green coin that goes to the megawatt hour, and that might trade at a premium to the kind of the brown coin. Now they're both megawatt hours, and National Grid still balances megawatt hours, but because you can't separate the megawatt hour from its greenness, because the token is both the greenness and the metal hour. It's much, much more powerful than putting certificates on top of megawatts so that can be stripped away. So those are my thoughts on the levels of greenness out there.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, actually. I got another one last question. Um, on the portfolio management side, we've seen a couple of products come to market for trading and risk of distributed renewable assets. Do you think there is sufficient differences around renewable assets in terms of measuring risk that something separate is required or not?
2: So when I think about distributed renewable assets, what you ultimately get down to is you get down to to a lot of variance, which is going to really affect your exposure to short-term power prices and your exposure to balancing costs. And if they're distributed and they're at the lower voltage level, you also have to understand the variance in the non-energy costs like DUOS as well. Now. A traditional ETRM is really good at VAR measurement, where you have the same product with a firm firm forecast, with yeah. a small uncertainty, with a long period of possible time movements. Whereas when I think about renewables and distributed assets, what you actually, your risk is, your risk is each half hour being in balance and making sure you don't get charged the cash out price or the the system imbalance price. Now with what I'm developing at um, Brady at the moment, Powerdesk, we're looking at how you can really manage those short-term risk exposures in a way that's completely different from the longer-term ETRM. Now, the difference in the prompt is each of your half hours are different from the other half hours. The product is not rollable. It's not like a barrel of oil is today and it's the same barrel of oil tomorrow or winter 23 is a curve contract in power and gas, it's still winter 23 tomorrow and you use all of that history. Half hour one this morning ended, half hour two this morning ended, half hour three this morning ended. Each of them expired, and you have to balance them. So you need a completely different mindset and user experience to balance short term. And you also need a different way of algorithmic trading, which myself and my quantum Dimitri working on to make sure that we create algos for non-rollable products in PowerDesk Edge, which is our algo Module rather than classic um, algos that work on longer term rollable products. And so to me, the risk there is not down to like VAR calculations, it's down to the right visualization, the right position reporting, and the right algos working on that short term uncertainty. I also spoke with Luca Pedretti, co founder and CEO at Pexapark.
3: That's a great question. We actually work with institutional investors. They uh, have been investing into renewables for 20 years. But when they started investing, uh, there was no need for energy risk, energy sales, because you had uh, subsidies. And then suddenly those renewable assets became so cheap that they could be realized without subsidies. But then a new topic came up, which is, well, selling your electricity, managing the risks, and here we have uh, a new asset class, uh, those renewable assets exposed to price risk. And we have a new set of investor uh, player on the market, institutional investors. And they are not utilities, are not from the trading space, are not aware of the ETRM solution, but somehow they need to cover the same thing. There is a deal life cycle, uh, so they need to Close large complex uh, deals, PPAs. They they need to capture them. They need to uh, monitor them, and uh, they need some some systems for that. And uh, this is where we came in, um, basically bringing let's say the mindset from a trader utility to a new class of. Uh, uh, clients uh, which are exposed to price risk. And we felt that this is not covered at all by the classical ETRM system. Uh, and this is what we have been uh, working on since, well, now soon five years. And this is
0: really an extension of what you were doing anyway around the PPAs and data and pricing and all that kind of
3: stuff, isn't it? Exactly, and what is a PPA? I mean, it's, a, it's an exotic deal structure Uh, and the underlying is uh, renewables and if you want to capture this and uh, price and analyze and then monitor uh, you need to really focus and take care on the specifics of renewables and we call it the the holy trinity of renewables there is uh, not just price risk which ETRMs are perfect for but you have volume risk and you have you have a so-called cannibalization risk and then you have manifold correlations uh, between renewables. So it is quite a beast to aggregate risks. And this is what we feel was very much needed uh, and is now appreciated by this client segment. But there are also other aspects uh, which we felt were not covered by the Ethereum space. For example, the realized part, Uh, a key issue is, getting grips of uh, classical uh, energy data and reconciliation that you can check your invoices. And that's a key part in asset management next to the whole risk set. And then the integration. Um, uh, The most institutional investors uh, come naked. So basically they are not used uh, to this space uh, yeah. suddenly to the exposure so they need a, a solution that brings everything, the data aspect uh, energy data management but also the curves the calibration, everything needs to come along uh, they don't have yet an extensive setup and resources to deal with those, whereas in a classical Ethereum space you, you would have customization, you would have in-house teams already yeah it would be a much grown uh, existing infrastructure in place. Right. You mentioned cannibalization risk. What is that? Yeah, it's our most beloved word Uh, in the renewables. It's basically the fact of having the same type of renewable technology being installed at the same place, actually leading to a value destruction. Because if there's more wind in the same space and the wind starts to... Flow and electricity being produced, uh, the value will decrease the more wind you have at the same place. Mm-hmm. And That's a key, a key risk uh, as, as your actual net revenue, which you expect to get in the future or tomorrow, uh, depends on uh, how the wind blows and how much additional wind there will be in the system.
0: And how much interest has there been in 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 the solution that you're offering to the market?
3: Well, it's exploding. I think we we are in an energy transition. So uh, we have seen plenty of investments over the last twenty years. I mean, there was we have now four hundred gigawatts of installed renewable capacity in Europe alone. And this is growing significantly. And more and more of these capacities are being built with exposure to price risk. So there is a, a new, there's, first of all, there are new types of investors, uh, non-utilities, uh, on the block. And then there's a new asset class on the block. And this makes the field just huge, uh, and it's growing quickly. And uh, those companies need solution to manage those risks. Are any of your customers
0: also utilizing a more traditional ETRM alongside your product or or are you still at the stage where it's it's smaller, as you say, investor type people and they're not using ETRMs necessarily?
3: Yeah, that's correct. So we see, of course, traditional utilities um, uh, and large traders in the field um, that also use our system. They use it then in a complementary field. Uh, yeah. So they have an ETRM in place and we focus uh, more on renewable aspects. But on the new kids on the block, there's, they're becoming quickly big. <laughs> so the, you have the market forces pushing them to, to scale up, to become bigger. And uh, given the size they reach, they, they can afford also bigger systems, uh, and they become necessary just to deal with uh, in the in the, in this new world.
0: Yeah, talking to a lot of the vendors in the space, they're definitely seeing a lot of inbound inquiries from this kind of um, entity. Do you do you intend to sort of stick to your knitting in the renewables area and? Or would you migrate more into the broader ETRM space as your customers grow and perhaps engage in other activities? Or would would you really rather stick to your knitting and look to um, partnerships with other vendors? What kind of strategy are you going to adopt?
3: I mean, first of all, we're a pure renewable shop. So we're completely bank on the energy transition, focusing on solar, uh, wind, offshore wind, and then storage. Um, want to cover the full deal life cycle uh, um, really focused on the new kits on the block but see us very much as a complementary solution for uh, the existing ETRM space, the existing investment space or utility space because we bring a focus on renewable risks uh, and they are also needed uh, by the the old, let's say, the incumbents, which are also starting to invest uh, and getting exposed to those new uh, yeah. assets. So, not not to not to uh, perhaps bang the
0: drum wrongly uh, too much, but would you would you potentially go in the direction of of allowables and, and credits and that kind of trade, or, or strictly just sticking to renewable assets?
3: No, we want to stick to renewables. Uh, yeah. That's 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 our core.
0: Because plainly, people are also faced with um, the, the the carbon credit uh, allowables uh, trading as well, and so I think ETR the traditional ETRM is under assault a little bit from from you know all aspects of of the energy transition.
3: Yeah, I, I think in, also from our experience, we all have a background in utilities and in trading houses. We we don't believe in monolithic solutions. So uh, there's a there's a lot of good stuff out there. And typically when we see our bigger clients, uh, it's it's typically a mashup of various systems, various approaches. And um, you see a lot of focus on, on the data side uh, yeah. and building this in, in a structured manner. And so I think the, there's enough room for many players. And um, I think this flexibility, Uh, is anyway key irrespective of uh, whether you're on renewables or in the in the traditional in the traditional space yeah what we've
0: been talking about ecosystems for the last five or six years but i think we're finally beginning to see the possibility of real ecosystems in the cloud and so probably final question would be if someone was interested in your solution can you describe its technology is it cloud native is it software as a service that kind of thing
3: it's classical software as a service, uh, everything in the cloud uh, and uh, have been happy with that uh, as it was designed from, from the onset as, a, as such a solution. Well, we think the it's just starting. So if, if you think the energy transition is in full gear, uh, we believe it's actually only starting. And uh, why do we think it's such a great time? Because so far, Renewables only took 10-15% of the market, and we reach now a stage where they will become the dominant source. And due to the nature of renewables, the capacity will have to grow by a multiple uh, because they have lower capacity factors, so that the space is just going to explode. And finally, I talked with Ganesh Natarajan at Enuit.
4: I I think from a a system standpoint, right, if you look at your... uh traditional friend, middle, back, and risk requirements, there are a lot of inquiries coming in in terms of actually handling emissions, not just the deal modeling. People are also talking about, hey, can you model emission contracts? Yes, we can. But people are going to the next stage about emission certificate tracking. People are going to the next stage about emission inventory valuations. So people are started treating emissions as a proper physical asset, including inventory valuations, advanced risk analytics, have been asked out of anybody who says, my system can support emissions. That's the first trend we are seeing, right? Yeah. From a system standpoint. So people are asking for us inventory valuations, more advanced emission capabilities. Let's say if you are actually uh, trading a gas and people are asking, how would you track the molecule of a gas? Is it coming from a bio, you know, or a biofuel or a renewable? So people are trying to tag their deals in the full value chain. So that means that there is an opportunity across the value chain to identify your carbon footprint from the time you originate the deal to all the way to settle the deal. So people are really looking at it. From the other trend I'm seeing, which is again, not directly coming from Inuit side is uh, the metals industry, the mining and metals industry is actually putting a lot more focus right now when compared to the other commodities to actually uh, capture the value chain across the metals and mining. because you can actually see there is a lot of carbon emissions and other stuff uh, in the metals and mining fund in terms of digging the earth all the way towards the trading midstream and the contract similar to oil. Um, that second one we are seeing, lot more metals and mining companies are putting in a much more demanding environmental requirements or emission requirements or renewable requirements within their uh, ask. So we as Inuit and like any other competitors, have to take this market much more seriously than what it was in terms of you know deal capture and risk valuations we have to push the entire value chain all the way through like the physical commodities um, that's what we are trying to do
0: so you're seeing a lot more emphasis on carbon footprints carbon footprint reporting and emit- carbon, carbon emissions credits, and
4: carbon credits and, credits and emissions absolutely yeah. right yeah. in the us side is even the same thing right rins and rex uh, we are getting much more uh, thing because rins and rex are like oh we do fracking that's kind of the us model yeah, that's fine we have a lot of space we don't do it you know it's fine but even in the us side of things people are genuinely asking about uh, our renewables emissions capabilities rins and treks capabilities uh, you know uh, your renewable energy certificates capabilities in the marketplace um yeah
0: what about uh, what about more short term trading granular more granularity in the trading real time reporting any any of those things you are seeing as well
4: uh, so basically the on the, on the back of these emissions, I would definitely say uh, not just tied to the emissions. There's a lot more power opportunities, which is actually knocking our doors. Uh, you know, uh, We are seeing a trend of uh, short-term trading, uh, quick algo trading, or much more fast frequency trading in some interesting markets, Gary. So we are actually getting some inquiries from Cyprus. Uh, Cyprus is actually deregulating their energy markets by Q4, if I'm, my memory serves right. Of this year, October, there's going to be deregulated. And then we are also seeing some inquiries from the eastern part of Europe, uh, a lot more about power trading, and then trying to come into a little bit more mainstream, even though the grids and TSOs are very uniquely different. So we started getting inquiries on the eastern European side, uh, Cyprus side, uh, for a lot more power opportunities. Of people are trying to think a couple of years later, you know, a couple of years before Japan was deregulated, now Cyprus is getting deregulated. So it's opening up some interesting markets where you traditionally has not gone out and fetched a customer in cyprus it's you know i never worked in cyprus or never actually sold into cyprus in my previous job too but we are getting inquiries from renewable operators who have solar generation capacity we are getting inquiries from wind energy operators who have got a capacity and they're basically creating a kind of a base load and putting it to the grid and the tso right now that market is getting decentralized so people are actually trying to be price sensitive Competition is going to increase. At the same time, they, they are actually being educated right now on the ETR markets. So on the power side, we are seeing it, not connected to the emissions, but yes, on these two markets.
0: And you mentioned the, some of the renewable generation assets. Are you seeing any specific needs or requirements that reflect those small-scale distributed sort of renewables, maybe rooftop solar or, or even the, the wind stuff?
4: So if, if you look at this right now, from a distribution generation standpoint, right, a traditional centralized generation towards inquiries are coming in from solar. We are getting uh, biomass fueled power plants. I would output biomass in the renewable side, right? And we are also seeing people who are actually uh, trading or having a huge generation and then also doing batteries. So none of these people actually have understanding about a trading or a midstream operations, but their expectation is how can you actually model my kind of a solar contract, wind contracts, even battery-based contracts in your system, right? so that we can actually serve the load efficiently, and we would like to actually have a position. right? Which means we need to start thinking a little bit more like oh, PPAs, point-to-point, back-to-back sales. So we need to start stretching the system to actually handle some of the most simple and the complex business process, like renewables, wind, and uh, even batteries in, this, in the systems. That's one
0: area we are definitely seeing, yes. Yeah, we, we see the same thing with the PPAs, et cetera. And also we, we, we do see things happening in terms of very small um, entrants into the market, aggregators, um, uh, group, groupings of, of buyers, this kind mm-hmm. of thing, who are now beginning to look to actively trade and perhaps shopping for systems. Are you seeing the same thing?
4: That's correct, that's correct. So if you look at the intraday markets, people are almost realizing the real money is in the real-time markets, right? So there are some small, medium-sized players who are actually coming with the renewable generation. Uh, is pretty, uh, Let's say, you know, uh, I know Denmark has got the 80% of their base load come from renewables. Not every European market is matured like Denmark. But there are some people who are actually having a renewable asset, but to bring in the volatility positions, and also to make some decisions, they are actually trying to get into the intraday market, try to understand the short-term trading to manage and uh, capitalize their exposures. So we are seeing that, but we need to have a definite answer because you know, there are some softwares you know already. you know, One of our competitors, I've got one, and a couple of other, other intraday products are already in there, but there is always a very interesting set of untraditional players trying to get into the intraday market to make real money in real time i'll put it that way so i, I think i think with this with this last but not the least right you are talking about guarantees of origin etrms and stuff previously back office is actually um is like oh great let me do the deal you do the invoicing and do the paper pushers and stuff with this renewable market i do believe back office has got a much more complex settlement in terms of different market products because it's not traditional back-to-back Sorry, uh, B2B, wholesale electricity you're dealing with. You're dealing with different type of renewable products like solar energy and wind. I believe truly the back office and the operations side is no more an afterthought if your come into the f- main play, Gary. These yeah. guys have to, it is no more just, oh, let me actually settle, pay the broker fees and do invoices. I think these guys are actually have to be crucial like a middle office or a risk. Uh, that's ex- exactly the, you know, go tracking, right? End of the day, you have to track the certificates. Front office status is not going to track the certificates. So back office and the settlement process becomes much more involved and non-traditional when compared to the physical commodities, like the way which you can, you know, if I even if know how to settle metals, I know how to settle power. I think renewables need a little bit different skill set, and then it is no more afterthought in my opinion. That's it.
0: So it seems like there are indeed many challenges and new requirements facing ETRM software providers in the coming months as a result of the energy transition, as well as the possibility of the emergence of a number of all new requirements and even new applications. Challenging times ahead. I'd like to thank today's participants, Sean, Chris, Luca, Ganesh for their participation and to you for listening. Please do subscribe, like and share if you found this podcast useful, from me, Gary Vesey, and Comtech, thanks for listening and goodbye. Listening to CTRM Radio, a podcast by leading industry analysts' Commodity Technology Advisory. You can find more information about us at ComTechAdvisory.com and much more news, views, research, and information on CTRM at the CTRM Center at CTRMCenter.com. Thank you for joining our presenters, managing partners Patrick Reams and Gary M. Vasey and their guests today, and we hope to see you on a future edition of CTRM Radio.